the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Amen? And not only the vastness of the universe in which we live, which our minds really can't comprehend. As far as they took us, I don't know they took us to the end. And then, but we look at the, even the miracle of God when it comes to the most minute detail of who we are as human beings. It's an amazing God that we have. I hope you believe in an amazing God today. A God who is able to do. You know, if you think about... Uh, the, the thought of, of a creative, uh, a creator God. We understand that these things that we see around us did not happen by accident. They did not happen by, by uh, chance, but they happened by design. By design of a creator God who, who not only thought of the, the vastness of what we see, but also, also goes within the, in the very smallest of what we can even understand as human beings, and, 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 and shows himself to be mighty. As we begin the study of Genesis, as we think about this, I hope the key that you get through this study is a focus upon God. I hope that the key that you get is an understanding that, that uh, sometimes, if we're not careful, we let, uh, we let others speak truth we, or decide what is true. And we forget who our God is, and so many of times our reactions in the world and, and the things we believe are contrary to what he has taught and who he is. Genesis sets the foundation, most importantly, for who God is. Because the truth is, if you don't get that right, nothing else is going to matter. You've got to get God right. You've got to believe who he is. You've got to receive the revelation of God's word or the teaching of God's word and the revelation of, Holy, of God's Holy Spirit for who God is. If not, you're going to be like the world is. And the world is just wandering all over the map. You understand that. Intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, physically, they're all over the map. And what you see today of so many things that are ungodly, I believe, are a direct result of a people who have rejected God. By the way, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1. He says this. He said, because they grew or got to the place where they began to love the creation more than the creator. In other words, they had rejected God. And he said, although they knew God, they rejected God. And though they went into a time of worshiping the creation itself or desiring the creation itself, rather than the creator, Paul says, God gave them over to a reprobate heart to do those things which were contrary to God. It should not be surprising to us, ultimately, that the world is doing all kinds of ungodly and reprobate things and teaching all kinds of heresy, and we have apostates in the pulpits and in teaching positions, because man has, for the most part, rejected God. As we begin to study the book of Genesis, I'm not going to have time to read to you both chapter 1 and chapter 2, but... My text this morning is out of chapter 1 and chapter 2. You're reading tomorrow's chapter 1. You're reading on Tuesday, chapter 2. So you'll, you'll, we'll be together on all this. I want to point to you some key things this morning. And there's no way I can deal with all the aspects of those chapters. It's more of an overview. So I had, to, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you want your people to hear as we begin this study in the book of Genesis? Two things that I believe he, he laid upon my heart for us today. The first thing. Deal, first of all, with God himself, and that's what we're going to do. Second of all, we're going to focus in on chapter 1 and 2 on what God has said. Okay, so I want you to get that. 
who God is, and what God has said. We start with who God is. Because if you don't get this right, let me let me just tell you, it doesn't matter to you what he said. And that's where the world is. If we don't get who God is right, then we have no care, really, of what God has said. And God's words and God's authority and God's power stem from who he is. So if mankind misses that, it's no wonder when they look at this book, they say, I don't care what this book says. I'll come up with my own. I'll decide for myself. And by the way, it's no wonder that the enemy of our souls attacks those two things that I'm going to talk about today. First of all, who God is. Second of all, what God has said. So let's look at the Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 as we begin this morning. Here's what it says. Very familiar. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible begins with a statement, a statement of fact, a statement that's not up for debate, a statement that's not trying to convince you of anything, a statement that says what is. In the beginning, what? God. Before there ever was a beginning of humanity or a beginning of time, there was God. I hope you understand this morning that everything that exists is by the hand of God. In the book of Genesis here, there, in this first, first chapter, the, the, the name God is mentioned 31 times. 31 times. Moses is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to draw the attention of we, the followers of God, back to who God is. You need to remember that you have been created by God for God. You exist for His glory. It's not about us. It's really about him. Jesus came to reveal his father to mankind so that mankind who was estranged from God could once again know God. And the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to begin by saying, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He wants us to know that right from the start of this wonderful book is the revelation of of God. Again, not up for debate. It's really not up for discussion. God doesn't try to prove himself. And you'll hear people, I've, I've taken classes before where I've had professors that have said stuff like, well, I'm going to prove there is no God. I also took a philosophy course at MCC many years ago where there's a professor said, I'm not going to use the Bible, but I'm going to prove to you that there is a God through philosophy. By the end of the semester, I was just, what? You need to understand that God doesn't even try to prove his existence. He just states his existence. And the Bible says it is the foolish person. It is a, it is, is a man without any kind of capability of even cognitive and logical and, 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 and rational thought. It is the fool that says in their heart, there is no God. In the beginning, God. Now, mankind has moved this to tell people it's okay for you to believe in any God as you perceive him to be. I must remind you of this. God is not who we perceive him to be. God is not who we want him to be. And God is not who we want to create him to be. God is God. How many of you would be offended if someone said to you, you're not really you? 
many would be offended? How many would be offended said, Luke, you're not really you. You're, you're Trinity. And Trinity, you're not really you. You're Teresa. We, we, would, we would all be a little bit offended about that. We, I'm me. We do that with God. You believe in God as you perceive him to be. No, if you don't believe in the God of the Scripture, then you don't believe in God at all. And we know God because he has chosen in his grace and mercy to reveal himself to us. And the Scripture begins, in the beginning, God. Who is this God? We know God because the Scripture teaches us about his very nature or character. It tells us that he is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness. It speaks of his nature and his character. And he's perfect in all of those characteristics. He's not like we human beings that have flaws in all of those areas. He's perfect in every one of those things. But the Bible also speaks of, of, of God and his attributes that, that actually set him above we human beings, far above we human beings. Because the Bible says of his attributes that, that he is an omnipotent God. That is, he's all-powerful. That, that there's nothing too great for him. Nothing is impossible for him. That he is an omniscient God. That he knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows you intimately. He knows you inside out. He knows the thoughts you had yesterday. He knows the thoughts you have today. And don't be mistaken, he knows the thoughts you're going to have tomorrow. He is an omniscient God. He knows all things. He's an omnipresent God. That is, means he's not limited by time or space. Those, both those things are creations of God. And because he is God, he sets above those things. Now he, because he is God and he created those things, he certainly is freely to move within those realms. Aren't you glad that you have a personal God that touches your life in, in time and in space? And he does. If you are born again, God touched you in time and in space. If you exist, and you do because you're sitting here, God has touched you in time and space. But he is not limited by those things. By definition, he sets above those things. And, and when we begin to think that we got him figured out, I always tell people, you know, when you think you got figured, you got God figured out, then you got the wrong God. When you think you know everything about God there is to know, then you have a God of your own creation. Because he is who he is beyond our ability to think. It's, it's, what's the Bible say when if someone could see God in his full glory at any one time, what's the Bible say would happen to that person? It would kill him. We know God because he's chosen to reveal him, himself to us. And he does that in me and in you, and he does it in a very personal way. And here's what I love about this. He's omnipresent, which means he's fully able to be present everywhere at one time. When you were born again, you didn't get a piece of God, as if God's divvying himself out, and someday he's going to run out of himself to be able to give all the believers. When you were born again, you received the fullness of who God is in you. And what's cool about that is you did I did. Everybody in here who's born again did. God doesn't miss anything. He's not limited. One of the attributes of God is he is able to be everywhere at the same time and be fully who he is in every place that he's at at the same time. Incredible. No human being can do that. 
an attribute of God. And the Bible tells us the other thing that about God's attribute is that He is unchangeable. You know, one person or one being you never have to worry about or wonder about, will they be who they are and will they always be who they are and will they mean what they say when they say something, is God. Now, that's not true about us. Anybody in here ever, besides me, ever said something you didn't really mean? Anybody here ever say something one, one day and a few days later you changed your mind on it? You figured you got it wrong. Maybe you got clarity. Or maybe your wife told you you got it wrong and you had to change your, your idea on it. Amen. I got the amen on that one, didn't I? What you think? Think about that. That never happens with God. He is never mistaken. He never comes up short. He doesn't miss a thing. And who he is, he eternally is. Our God is not an evolving creature discovering what is and who he is and who we are and what we're going to do and all these kind of things. I want to throw this out to you. If you have a pastor who teaches what we call open theism, you need to move yourself from that person. Open theism is this thought, this thought that somehow God is waiting on us to make a decision. And once we make a decision, then God will act or react to that decision. But God doesn't know what we're going to do. And God, you know, God's kind of caught by surprise. God is who he eternally is. Our God is who he eternally is, and he has always been. And every word that he listen, that's why the Bible says, every word that he said is true, and it's eternally true. The, the grass, it fades about this time of year. The flower, it withers. But the word of God, it stands forever. What God says is eternally true. You've heard the saying, all truth is God's truth. It's not really true from a human perspective because humans have truth, truths, so-called truth, that are true one day and not true the next day. God knows no such thing of that kind of truth. When God speaks, his truth is eternal. That's why when someone tells you, I can't believe you people, you're, you're relying on a book that's over 2,000 years old? I had someone someone write something in, 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 in my Facebook or and I, I was in a friend's Facebook that, you know, can you, are you really going to trust a, a book that was written in, in the, in the, in the Bronze Age? With a bunch of, bunch of ignorant people who didn't really know what was going on? I challenge anybody who thinks that the Apostle Paul was ignorant to really begin to, <laughs> to, to break it down. I, I love it when people do that with our Constitution. I, oh, that was two, that's 200 something years old and these bunch of these, these Neanderthal uh, ignorant men wrote that. Really, how many of you speak seven languages like Thomas Jefferson did? You don't have to be ashamed of the Word of God. Because the source of the Word of God is not man. The source of the Word of God is God Himself. And He hasn't missed anything, and He will never miss anything. So what God gives us is true, and it's eternally true because our God is immutable. He does not change. He's the same today as he was yesterday, as he was before creation itself, and as he will be after this world and this universe is long gone. He will still be God, and his words will stand in eternity. I hope you believe that. You see, it's important for us to begin where the Bible begins. 
in the beginning, God. It is our statement of faith. We believe in the beginning, God. We didn't just happen. We weren't the product of evolution. We're not, we're not, we're not the, 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 the product of, of a group of, of alien beings who came down here and, and developed we humans on this earth and we're in, a, we're in a, this, this, this petri dish that these people are watching, these beings are watching. You say, wow, really? There are people who believe that? You know, sometimes some of these beliefs, you have to, it takes more faith to believe them than it does to believe what the scripture says. In the beginning, God. What? God created the heavens and the earth. Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit to let us know that God did not merely make out of what was, but that God created ex nihilo, which means created out of nothing. Now, I challenge anybody in here to do that. I challenge anybody in here to do that. I would challenge you, you can't even create a thought out of nothing. Because you have to start with something that someone else already gave you to have the thought. That's not true of God. God is self-existent. Where did God come from? God came from nowhere. If God came from there, then wherever he came from existed before he did. That's not possible. And he created there was nothing, and he created. God spoke it into existence. Talk about the power of God. We're going to see that. Eight times in creation, God spoke, and it was. And that's what I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. Eight times he spoke it, and it was. The point is that it wasn't. He spoke it. And it was. I hope that you get that. It didn't exist. He spoke it, and it was. Now, when I read Genesis, and I see the power of God revealed in his ability to speak into existence that which did not ever exist before that time, it takes me to a place called Calvary Church. And it takes me to some writings in the New Testament. Some writings about our Savior, Jesus. And by the way, was Jesus there at creation? Please nod your head. Okay. Paul says in Colossians, by him, through him, and for him, all things that were created were created. Okay. But here's what I want. I want you to get this. When I read God spoke these things into existence, then I read in the New Testament where it says, they did all these things to our Savior, yet he opened not his mouth. And then someone, some progressive or liberal wants to say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Aren't there seven sayings of Jesus from the cross? And I say, yes, there are. Well, isn't the Bible contradicting itself? And I say, no, it's not. Well, the Bible says he opened not his mouth. It was not in relation to what he said on the cross. Father, forgive them. I thirst. Into thy, spirit, into thy, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Those, those say... Behold your son, behold your mother. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually taking us back to Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke that which was not into existence and the power of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary not to open his mouth and say stop. 
Because if he did open his mouth and if he said stop, all of creation would have stopped right then. I don't know if you believe that. I hope you believe it. If Jesus did not have the power to stop it, then Jesus did not have the power to start it. And because he is God in the flesh among us who, who spoke it into existence, he certainly could have stopped it with a, with a single word. He could have stopped it. Now jump ahead with me. Talk about the word of God. When Jesus comes back again, Revelation chapter 19, get the description there. It says he's going to come on a white horse. King of kings, Lord of lords, a robe that's dipped in blood. And out of his mouth will come a sharp, two-edged sword by which he will destroy the nations. A sharp, two-edged sword. You heard that described somewhere else in the Scripture? Maybe in the book of Hebrews? The Word of God is a sharp, two-edged sword, able to divide to the very depths of who we are and give us discernment of the truth of God. What is that sharp, two-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus at His second coming, according to Scripture? It is the very Word of God. You know what? That last battle is not going to last very long. And we, we kind of do we get to join him? Well, I think we're going to be there if I understand the scripture correctly. But he doesn't need our help. It's not going to be that kind of battle. He's going to speak it, and his enemies are going to be destroyed. How can he do such? Because he is the God that we speak of here, the God who, in the beginning, created. Out of nothing, everything that exists. What a powerful God. And doesn't shake you to the foundation of your being that that God loves you? That that God cares that you exist? And he cares what you're going through? He cares for your hurts? He cares for your pain? He cares for your suffering? Isn't that incredible to you? That he's not this deist God that some would like to purport that, that just sort of wound it up and got it going and then said, hey guys, do the best you can. But he's a God who intimately loves you and who is intimately involved in your life. And he has always been that God. A pet peeve of mine before I move on. Well, God was this God in the Old Testament and this God in the New Testament. Well, didn't I just say didn't we just discuss that God is immutable? Do you, I love when people, God is a God of grace in the New Testament, and, 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 and he's not a God of grace in the Old Testament. Really? Did, we're going to read earlier. Somewhere I read that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Somewhere I read that. Well, we'll probably read it as we go through this. God is who he is. He eternally is who he is. Now how he chooses to reveal who he is through the ages, that's his business. But he doesn't change who he is as he reveals who he is to us. Everybody got that? Right. So, that's who God is. We can spend the rest of the day talking about who God is. But let's move on. Because now we're going to talk about, because God is who he is, he is able to do what he said he could do, or what he said he did do. 
to me, it's real important here. When we talk about the scripture, we talk about Genesis, and we talk about creation. To say that God did not create is a challenge to who he is. And not only is it a challenge to who he is, we've got to be very careful that we don't challenge his very word. That we don't come up against the integrity of God and the honesty of God by saying, no, God, you didn't do it that way. Or even worse, to say, God, you didn't do it at all. Eight times in creation, eight verses in chapter 1 begin like this. Then God, who is the God that we talked about, who is the creator of heaven and earth. Eight times it says, then God said. Very quickly, very quickly. I don't have to, to, the time to expound on these, but let's go over them very quickly. Look with me at verse 3. Then God said... Let there be light. And guess what? And guess what? Oh, wait a minute. Didn't something else? God said, let there be light, and what? There was light. Why is there light? Why is there light? Well, because of the sun? Really? Because of the moon? Because of the star? Why is there light? Is that light? Or is that something that's projecting light? Is that light? Where does light come from? Was there really a time when light did not exist in this universe? According to Scripture, there was. And God said, let there be light. And upon the declaration of God, there was light. Got any problem with that? I don't. If you do, take it up with him. You know, I get to a place where, 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 where that... that it, it, can you at least admit that we can't possibly know everything that God knows? Can you, can you at least admit that? Can you at least admit that there are some things that God has chosen not to let us know? How does creation work? My answer is, I don't know. What I do know is God said, and there was. Second verse, look with me in verse 6. Then God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide the waters from the waters. God set the atmosphere. God set the firmament which later on we'll talk about. I, I genuinely believe the firmament was different pre-flood than, it, than, than the firmament that we deal with today. Something drastically happened when the flood took place. But who established the atmosphere? Who established the heavens? Who established these things? Who made earth able to have life? Who created it in such a way to sustain life? The Bible says God. How did he do it? I don't know. He said, and it was. Look at the third one, verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And what's it say? And it was so. And here we see that the particular 
description of God in the creative process or in its creative word, if you will, establishing not only the firmament around the planet that we live on that's capable of keeping life, but we also see God in the creation of what our planet looks like. I don't know. Maybe someone can help me out here. I, I certainly don't know all this, but it's kind of amazing when you think about the water that's on the earth and all that's in the water. And, and, and when, you, when you take pictures of other planets and stuff, they seem to be absent of some of that stuff. The firmament that's around, they seem to be absent of that. I mean, you, wanna, you think Mars is okay to go to? Like, Mars will give you life? I challenge you, go to Mars, get on one of those ships, go to Mars and stuff. Take off your helmet. Try to find water on Mars. I guess what I'm saying to you is, church, the earth didn't just happen. And the land masses and the water and and all the the systems that we see in the earth, which, which are tied together to make this wonderful ecosystem that we can live in and we can thrive in. And, and it's an amazing thing to me. It, it actually cleans itself. It filters itself out. It's an incredible thing. It didn't just happen. It wasn't there. God created the heavens and the earth. God created light. God created the firmament. God created the land masses and the water, which work perfectly in the system. an incredible thing that God has done. Why? I'm going to answer that one. Because we have an incredible God. I don't know how any believer can read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and not say, wow, we got an incredible God. i got to move on. Look at verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And now we have this statement added to the Scripture. According to its kind. God created that which it... Listen. God created that, that which is to be what God created it to be. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we move on. But you'll notice here, when he begins with the plant, when God spoke and created the plant life upon this planet, he gave the plant seed, and the seed was according to its kind. Now, I know we have microbiologists, or I don't know what you call them, people, people who mess with seeds today. You guys remember the time when you could grow your own tomato or your own corn and stuff and plant that tomato seed, and it would, it would grow up to be another tomato plant? You understand that, that some of our food has been so messed with that you could take the seed out of tomato, and it won't produce another one. It's sterile. i got to just say, man always messes up things when they try to mess with, with the things of God. And we all know that the best tomato you ever ate was one you grew yourself. It tastes like a tomato. What we get at the store tastes like the box. We might as well eat the box. It tastes the same way. So our great God created 
by speaking it into existence, the light, the plant life that's on this planet, and, and, and gave them, gave them a particular identity. So, so a, a tomato is a tomato, and an orange is an orange. Unless man begins to manipulate and mess up and destroy. And man has learned to do that not only with plant life, but with animal life. And we're moving to a place where we're about to do it with human life. Well, maybe that's already happening. Let's put human life in a petri dish and see what happens. I, I'm, I'll get carried away. i got to go on. Verse 14. Then God said, let the lights, let there be lights in the firmament above the heavens to divide the day and the night. And let them be a sign, uh, let them be for signs and season and for Days and years. Isn't it interesting that he put the planets, according to Scripture, in the firmament to reflect or to, to, to show the light after light itself was created? Light existed before the planets existed. Light existed before the earth existed. It's hard for us to comprehend that. Because we really think that light is the product of our sun. And truly, God uses the sun to do marvelous things in this, again, in the creation that he, he made in the solar system. And particularly, placing us exactly 93 million miles away from the sun so that all things could be right here on earth. And the planet a little bit closer than us, all things are not right there for life. The planet a little bit further from us, all things are not. But we, boy, by coincidence, right smack where we are. Everything's right. There's a lot of coincidences. I submit to you, you've got to believe a lot more to buy all those coincidences than to believe that God designed things as he intended to. Look at verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound in, in an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and the face of, 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 of the firmament of the heavens. So now we have the, the fish life and the, the ocean life and the, and the birds. And once again, we're reminded in, in verses that come after that. He created them each to their own kind. Each to their own kind. We did not come crawling out of the ocean, grow legs, stand upright, swing in trees, until we got, until our skull got to the right size that we could intellectually think. Now, that's oversimplistic, I understand. Evolution. I want you to hear this. Evolution is anti-God and anti-Christ. Because it is contrary to what we're talking. It's contrary to the very word of God. Here, Moses tells us God created out of his word the plant life. God now has created out of the word the ocean animals and the birds that fly. We read on. Look at verse 24. He says this. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures, according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. Does anybody beside me believe that God somehow knew from human history, no, let's say six to 10,000 years later, from the time of Adam, 
Anybody besides me believe that God knew that men would probably get to the point where they would say, you know what, we've got a new way to look at this. Anybody believe that God somehow knew that evolution would come along, the, this, this ungodly teaching? I do. And so he inspires Moses to write so that we would know that when God created things, he created each in its own kind. And there is no such thing. Now, I hope I get this word right. If not, someone help me. Macro evolution, jumping from species to species. Now, there is, I believe clearly, and the evidence there, a micro evolution. We might use the word adaptation. Evolution means change. And even, even the human species have some change. You ever notice that there are some people who have darker skin or lighter skin than you do? Okay. My granddaughter says, Papa, you have fur. That's a little bit scary because, you know, someone could probably use that to carry on that evolutionary thing, you know. We're not all the same. We do adapt. Some of you are very, very light-skinned. You come from the Nor- Norwegian area up there where, where it's cold and stuff, and some have darker skin who come from very more heated climate, and some of us talk funnier than others and stuff. We're not all the same. But here's what's true. Everybody in here is a human being and was created to be a human being and created in the image of God. And all the animal kingdom are what the animal kingdoms God intended for them to be. Well, let's look at the last one where God said, verse 26. It says, and God said, yeah, verse 26. It says, um, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, what I want you to see here is something has changed in God's plan. Well, not changed, but but something new has been revealed in God's plan. He never said of the plant life to be created in his image. He never said of the animals to be created in his image. It's now when he comes to mankind, to humans, he said, we're going to make humans in our image. Who's the hour there? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into the Trinity I hope you believe in the Trinity. I hope you believe that God, well, boy, so much. Anyways, created in the, let's just put it this way. We are created in the image of God. Unless you think that has to do with what you look on the outside, you'd be missing the point. You and I were given spiritual life and the ability to respond to God like no other creation or creature has ever been, been given. Created in the image of God. Now, That being so, very quickly, I want you to listen. As God spoke his word in creation, now to man, God speaks. And listen, he speaks to man like he he doesn't speak to any other part of creation. Because notice what he just said. He said, to man, I give you dominion over the earth. To man, I give you responsibility. To man, I put all this of my creation underneath you. That you might be good stewards of what what I have provided. But to that man, God now will speak. And by the way, he can speak to man because man is the only creature created in the image of God that can receive the words of God. 
and that can respond to the words of God. Three things God says to him. Look at verse 28 very quickly. Verse 28. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the the air, over every living creature that moves on the earth. God begins speaking to man by giving them instruction or giving them a command. Notice what his first command was. If you don't think that abortion is, a, is, a, is, is an intentional attack against God's authority, look at the first thing that God told mankind. Be fruitful and multiply. I created you, male and female, that you might be able to come together in the holy covenant of marriage and that I might use you to, to procreate, if you will, the future generations. And then as we read the scripture, God gives more and more instruction of how the mother and the father are to pour their lives into that new life or those new lives. We get to David's writing where he says, wow, how blessed is a man who has a quiver full of kids. I know that's a, that's a little bit of a paraphrase. But he says, he says, children, and the world doesn't see it this way. And many in the church doesn't see it this way. Don't, boy, that's bad. Don't see it this way any longer. Shame on us. The Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're intended to be a blessing from the Lord. But in our modern day society, they don't fit into the convenience of what we want in our time and what we desire, so they become a burden to us. So much so that we have an epidemic of, of adults who cast away children as if they're nothing more than an old piece of clothes they don't want to wear any longer. They don't fit. And we say, oh, shame on those parents. But it also becomes our responsibility as the body of Christ to love the orphan, to care for them, to meet their needs. And we might say, well, that's their parents' responsibility. Yes, it is. Yet it is, you're right, it is biblically their responsibility. But we live in a sin-fallen world where many adults will not take their God-given responsibility. And if they won't do that, who can or who will? And if it's not the church, then where else are we going to look? God begins speaking to humans by a command. Be fruitful and multiply. Be good stewards of the earth. The second word of God to humans. Look at verse 29. He said, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree which, which yields seed. To you it shall be food. God's second word to humans was this. First word was a command. Second word was a word of provision. I have given you what you need. Oh, church, there's a whole sermon right there. We've got to learn once again. God is our provision. We've got to stop looking everywhere for, for our provision and start understanding that God is our provision. From the very beginning, God said to mankind, I will provide for you. And ultimately, I hope you believe that he did provide for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The third word, very quickly, that God gives, and we don't like this one, because after the word of command, after the word of provision, now we have God given a word of prohibition. Oh, no. You mean God's going to tell us not to do something? Look, we in chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden 
you may eat, may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do not be mistaken. God is God. And God has every right and authority and power to tell us what we can and cannot do. It's a rebellious heart that says to God, no. It's a rebellious heart that says to God, you can't tell me anything. I'm my own God. I'll make my own decision. There are consequences, always consequences, when we choose to be disobedient to God. And the third word God chose to give mankind, his special creation, created in his image, was a word of prohibition. He set, if you will, limits upon mankind. Now, in the scheme of things, when I look at this, I'm thinking, wow. He did set limits, but if you really weighed this out from a logical set, the limits weren't, if you think of it, the limits really weren't that great. Okay, all the trees of this whole wonderful, glorious garden, basically all the trees on earth, you can eat from. Every one of them, it doesn't matter, you can, you, you, you don't just sit there underneath it and, and eat all you want. But the one tree that you can't is this tree. And you know how men are. And this is man, this is man in perfection. Man enters into rebellion and says that he will eat. We'll be talking about that next week. But what I want you to see is that God spoke into humankind. Like he didn't speak in any other part of his creation. Because the Bible makes it very clear that humans are a special creation of God given and are given the words of God that no other part of creation is given. Last thought. We'll close this out. We've seen that God is who he is. We've seen that he spoke his word into creation. We see that he spoke his word into humankind. And now, as I close, once again, God is going to speak in the, at the end of chapter 2. And he's going to speak into society itself. Much of what you see today is a, is a direct, direct attack upon God and the authority of his word. Look with me in verses 18, verse 18. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man should be alone. I will make to him a helper comparable to him. You read on, the scripture says that, that he put him into sleep, and out of his side he took a rib, and he made a woman for man. Go down to verse 21, and here's what it says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and as he slept, and, it, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a, into a what? Did he make him into a man? Into a woman. And he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. God made woman for man. Why? Because it was not good that man should be alone. Man and women, man and, male and female, let me put it that way, because I'm going to get my tenses all messed up. Male and female were meant by design of our sovereign God to come together as God brings them together and to be a union that were once two to be one in Him. Let's read on what he says here. He said, Then the rib which the Lord had taken... From man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, 
because she was taken out of man. That's what woman means. Now, verse 24, quoted by no less than Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. Here's what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, I want you to understand something that I think is quite incredible. Jesus did quote this in the book of Matthew. He's speaking of the authority of God when it comes to marriage and what marriage is. There are those who will tell you they Jesus never spoke about homosexual marriage. Jesus never spoke about Yes, he did. Jesus quoted this word right here. This is by God's design. And when man says we no longer have to listen to God, that's when you have every kind of aberration that we have today. And that's what it is. And the Bible actually takes a little bit further, calls it an abomination. Because it is a direct attack to the authority of God. We're not talking about preference today. We're talking about God's truth. And either God is the God that we began speaking about, or he has no authority to say what he said. And by the way, notice what he says there. He said, therefore, a man will leave his who? His father and mother. Do you understand that God said that before Adam and Eve ever had a father or mother? God established the the family system and social order before there was any society. And here's what you need to know. As our marriages go, so our churches go. And as our marriages go, so our society goes. And it's no wonder that our society is imploding all around us because we have rejected the authority of God's word. Listen to me, church, and I'll close with this thought. God is God and we are not. Mankind will always find himself in trouble when he tries to put themselves in the place of God and begin to neglect the things which God has said, be it what God has said in concern to creation itself or what God has said in, 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 his, in his personal word to humankind or what God has said when it comes to society itself. It's at the place that we reject God that everything starts to fall apart. And we genuinely live, for the most part, in a godless society. God has lost his place and, unfortunately, his identity in our society. And we've replaced him with gods of our own making, gods in our own image, gods that are are happy with whatever lifestyle or whatever choices we make. He certainly, the God of today is not a God who has such authority to speak his truth into our life. But for the church, we begin the study of Genesis to go back to God. And when you know God, I mean, when you really know God, when he's truly your God, then you have no problem receiving what he has said. When you understand who he is, you have no trouble believing he could do exactly what he says. And when you know him in a personal way, you have no trouble obeying what he says and actually believing that God knows what he's talking about. And if we would just listen and follow, our lives would be so much better.
and the world would be so much better. It begins at the beginning. And it's why the enemy of our soul attacks the very beginning. Love to attack the foundations. Because if the foundation is taken away, nothing else stands. I hope your foundation is based upon Jesus Christ, who is the full revelation of God, the creator to you and to me, who is the savior of your soul, who died for your sins. I hope he is your sure foundation. I hope he is your cornerstone. Because if you try to build on anything else other than Jesus Christ, then your, your life cannot stand. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, if the way and the philosophy of the world is what's been driving you and teaching you and, 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 and it's not God's truth, but somehow the Holy Spirit has touched your heart and you say, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I want to have a relationship with God through, through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you about that. There'd be some other men at the front. They'd be glad to do that also. Maybe you are a born-again believer. And somehow... You just sort of checked out when it comes to these essential things, these essential truths. It gets too hard after a while. And so you just sort of surrendered them to a worldly system. And then we sit around wondering why, why everything's falling apart, even in our families and the church. We cannot surrender ground, church. You say, I'm not as smart as the world. Oh, listen, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. You walk in the power of, of the Holy Spirit of God and you speak the word of God, you'll be okay. Jesus said to his disciples, they'll drag you before kings and authorities and all of these things, and you don't even have to worry what you're going to say because in that hour, I will give you what you need to say. I trust God. My God's big enough to do that for me. You don't have to be intimidated. You just have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and speak the word of God. If you'd like someone to pray with you about that in your life, I'd love to do that again. Finally, if God brought you here and he wants you to be a part of this church family and you're responding to his leadership, we encourage you to come. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this day, for the hour that you've given us together, for your word. And I pray that you would help that tr the truth of that word just set in upon our spirit. Lord, let us see you for who you are. Holy Spirit, reveal in this place God so that we can be sure that our response is not not just to some being of our own creation, but that one true living creator of this universe who has authority to speak creation, who has authority to speak truth into our individual lives, and who has authority to speak into society itself. Give us hearts that are receptive, I pray today. And if, Lord, if someone needs you for salvation, may today be their day of salvation. If, if a, one of your children need to come back and, and, and put their trust in you and, and begin seeing you as the great God that you are, Holy Spirit, move away any barriers that they have and bring them to that place. Lord, if you're going to bring someone into our church family, I encourage you to ask you to do that right now. Lord, give us receptive hearts in Jesus' name.